0: we continuing to speak about gifts and callings. Gifts and callings. And today I want to start talking about dedication to your calling. Dedication to what? Dedication to your calling. Turn with me, please, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 27 to 28. At a great time yesterday preaching. I preached on embracing your calling. Uh, We've got some friends, some of you might be familiar with Raymond and Lindy Kasinganeti, and they were celebrating their first anniversary of their church, Anointed Life Ministries. Yesterday evening, they invited me to be the, the key speaker, the speaker there, and I was very blessed. The presence of God was so strong. There's such a strong anointing, and I find it interesting that we've got so many of these churches these pastors where people are saying hey when are you guys starting some kind of movement or some kind of family of churches we want to be involved in what you are doing amen so I want you to know that the impact this church is having is beyond just what's happening here Hebrews chapter 12 verse 27 to 28 is everyone there verse 27 to 28 the words once more signify the removal of what can be shaken that is created things so that the unshakable may remain therefore since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom let us be filled with gratitude and so worship god acceptably with reverence And all. For our God is a consuming fire. That's a very powerful scripture there. Once more, signify the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things. There are a lot of people today, when you hear them speak, they say, this is not working out in my life. And that is not working out in my life. And very often it's because they are building on things that can be shaken. When we look in scripture, we see that we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. So when I build on kingdom things, no one can shake them. But there are a lot of things that are man-made. The Bible here says that is created things. It says signifies the removal of what can be shaken. And my question to you this morning is, are you building on things that can be shaken or are you building on the unshakable? Are you building on things that can be shaken? How many of you know that if you shake a tree, especially around this time, what happens? The leaves begin to fall. In other words, leaves on a tree are shakable, especially in this season. And there are a lot of Christians who are going through life building on shakable things. And so what happens is when the shaking comes and the shaking will come, Those things begin to fall apart. My question to you this morning is, is your calling man-made or is it from heaven? Is your calling man-made? Is your calling something that you've fabricated? Is how you spend your time based on your whims? Is it based on something that you just feel like doing or are you building on the unshakable? Once more, signify the removal of what can be shaken. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about God's ways. We're talking about God's culture. We're talking about God's value system. So if I build my marriage on kingdom principles, it cannot be shaken. Because we're building on an unshakable kingdom. Are you hearing me this morning? When you build your life on man-made and fabricated things, the shaking will come. When you build your business on man-made, created things, the shaking will come, and when the shaking comes, you'll realize that you're building a house on sand. What are you building your life on right now? When I, and I'm passionate about marriages. Marriage was not man's idea. Marriage was God's idea. Amen? the local church was not man's idea it was jesus's idea you see at some point you realize that your life must be lived for a higher purpose at some point you come to a place where you realize there must be more than this how many of you are feeling me this morning on this you come to a place in your life where you realize You know what, life has to to be much more than this. It can't just be us four and no more, or us five and no more, or us two and no more. It can't just be. There must be a higher purpose. And there's some people who will dance around that calling but never fully step into it. And so they're still building their lives on shakeable things. One of the things I find so sad is you have a lot of people who might not be saved but they're clear about their purpose. I was watching an interview where PJ Powers was being interviewed. Now those of us who grew up in Zim, we knew all the South African artists from way back. As we grew up in the 80s, we knew them. Because some of you might not understand that they were famous beyond this country. Amen? I still remember as a little boy, my, my hometown is Mutare. Okay, that's where we come from, our people, my people. Right? I grew up in Arari, but we come from the Mutare area. And I remember we were in Rusape. There's a small town called Rusape. People like the Manumwas come from there and a few other people in the church. Right? And I remember, a, a, I think it was what we would call a commuter omnibus. Nowadays, going by and people were like, oh, that's Steve Kakane. Remember Steve Kakana? the blind guy, right? Oh, that's him going by. So we knew all these people. So I was watching an interview and PJ Powers was being interviewed and she said, you know what, she loves music, but her other passion is justice. That's what she said. And she was clear about it. And she started saying certain things, making certain political statements. And she just says, well, that's what I think. That's just my viewpoint. That's my viewpoint. Take it or leave it. And you could see there was no fear in her. And a lot of these people, where we listen to their music, whoever it is, some of you liked Stimela back in the day. Remember Stimela? Right? Some of you liked um, Juluka, back in the day. All those guys... They were making statements because a lot of these guys were actually poets. And a lot of these people were actually gifted prophetically. They might not be saved, please understand this. But I mean, if you know that God's hand was on a lot of artists, people like Bob Molly. Bob Molly was, a lot of his music was very prophetic. Songs like No Woman, No Cry. That is talking about liberty for women, dealing with women issues around that time. Amen. And so you see a lot of people who might not be saved, but somehow they have, a, they have clarity concerning their calling. And my concern is there are a lot of Christians today who spend years in the church, but they're dancing around their calling and they end up building on things that are shakable and not the unshakable. While we were on holiday, there was a guy who was doing the video for us when we're doing these, you know, those canopy tours that they do, where, the, where they, you do zip lining and that kind of thing. I was chatting to the guy as I walked back, because I just did half of it. Um, <laughs> it was planned that way, okay, it was, there, there's an exit point. And I said cheers to my family, and I went, and I was walking with the guy afterwards, and I said, so what's your dream, in the way I would typically say it. So what's your dream in life? And this guy says to me, I'm into music. I'm into hip hop. And he started talking to me. And I said, okay, can you, can you do something for me? Can you, you know, do something? And I felt like I was one of those idols judges. So here we were in the mountains and so on, and I'm like, hey, do something. And he says, yeah, but some of it is vulgar. So I'm like, I don't want the vulgar stuff. I just want, you know, like the cool stuff, you know, people. Then, of course, I did my preacher thing. And I just said, you know, people will be put off by some of the vulgar stuff. And he says, yeah, no, but, you know, if I look on YouTube, the guys who really make it, you know, a lot of them, they're doing the vulgar stuff. So I spoke into his life a little bit. But what I appreciate, then he started doing his whole thing, touching his crotch area and so on. And I thought to myself, why do people do this? <laughs> You know the crotch area, right? I can't demonstrate that. Why do they do it? Where does it come from? But here's a guy who's so consumed and passionate about what he feels is his purpose in life. And he's writing these songs, writing these songs, and some of them are vulgar. Imagine if we just got him saved. And I'll say it again. They're Christians who've known Jesus for a long time. And you say, what's your calling? And have you given yourself to it? They're dancing around their calling. Amen? I challenged this guy and I said, so what are you about to do? And he says, no, you know what? Uh, the problem is that some of those producers, they've got their own, and then he used a bad word for black people, they've got their own people who they want to do it for and it's about the money and he started complaining. I said when you blame someone or something else you deny yourself the ability to change. I challenged him along those lines. Then he says yeah that's why I'm going to be doing a course online or something so I can learn how to produce my own stuff. So what's happening is you've got people in the world who are clear about what they're passionate about and they're pursuing it. And today we see some of them with their books all over town. And we see some of them with their music all over the internet. But you've got godly Christians today who God wants to anoint. And God is saying, I'm, my eyes are roaming across the earth, searching, looking for those whose hearts are committed to me. And unfortunately in scripture, sometimes you would end up saying, but I found none. I was looking for someone who would stand in the gap, but I found none. Could it be that the Lord is looking and his eyes are roaming and when you look at that scripture, eyes are roaming, it's as if he checks once, goes off, looks somewhere else, and he comes back again. Could it be that maybe it's the 10th time round that he's been searching and he's coming and he's asking you for the 10th time, but you're still saying, I'm not too sure about this. And please, when I'm talking about gifts and callings, you know, I'm not talking just about pulpit ministry. I'm purposefully using examples out there. Musicians out there, right? Artists out there. Business people out there. In scripture we see the guys who built the temple. The Bible speaks of how God anointed a guy called Bezalel and Oholiab with all types of craftsmanship. These guys were artists. They could work with stone, stonework. But it says God anointed them for that purpose. How many of you know that your artwork can be anointed? The Bible, speaking of Daniel, says a very powerful thing. It says he gave Daniel and his friends what? He gave them the wisdom and the understanding of the language and the literature of Babylon. Amen? My question to you this morning is, are you dancing around your calling or are you fully dedicated to it? Are you building on something that's shakable, or are you building on the unshakable? Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 22. The Bible says here, is everyone there? Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. I can identify with Jesus. Sometimes that crowd is my kids. Okay, I know it doesn't sound good, okay. We're on holiday and sometimes you just wanna chill and so on and we do this big activity. and I'm now thinking, okay, afternoon we can chill and my kids don't get it. They don't understand that, wait a minute. They say to me, but dad, you're on holiday. Why do you wanna relax? (laughs) And then they go to the next thing and the next thing. But when you're dedicated to your calling, it doesn't mean you have to always be with the crowd. Jesus here it says now when Jesus saw a crowd around him he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea amen I enjoyed my time with my kids by the way just official statement out there but I'm just saying sometimes there's the crowd factor even for extroverts like myself, okay? Then a scribe, now this is very powerful. Then a scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounded good, didn't it? I'm sure the guy was proud of himself. Hey, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm sure he thought that Jesus would be impressed with that statement. You know, like some of those songs, you're always on my mind right if you say that to someone you love you think they'll be impressed every breath you take right i'm not going to try and sing it every step you take every move you make right this guy is saying it i mean this guy was a scribe this guy could write Let me say a little bit about the scribes. Let me say a little bit about the scribes. The scribes were a group of people. They were the transcribers. They were the record keepers. We wouldn't have the Bible today if there were no scribes. And what is interesting is, especially in the Old Testament, a lot of them were actually priests. A lot of them were actually Levites. And the ones who actually would specialize in certain types of writing became experts. And there's a historian called Josephus, and Josephus doesn't actually describe them as a distinct group because, and I think it's probably because in New Testament times with the Greek influence, a whole lot of other people became scribes. Okay? So you could have some poets becoming scribes, but these guys were experts at taking information, right, and capturing it. But they had to be learned. Not everyone could write, they had to be learned. And what is interesting is they were often lumped with the Pharisees, weren't they, as the group that was opposing Jesus. So here you've got this group of people who are opposing Jesus, but one of them comes and says, hey, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So he's probably thinking Jesus is impressed. I'm not like the other scribes. I will follow you wherever you go. This is not a worldly guy. This is a guy who understood the religion of the day. Are you following me? And yet Jesus' response to him is this. It says in verse 20, Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no way to lay his head. It was as if Jesus could see through that religious veneer and could see where this guy's heart was at. These guys were respected in society. And Jesus was like, you know what? There's no job security here. You could die tomorrow. You know what? You've been used to luxuries in your life, but if you follow me, are you willing to give up those comforts? How many feel that when you're dedicated to your calling, you're coming to a place where you're saying, God, if it means getting rid of these comforts, I'm willing to do so. Have it all. Amen? Amen? And I find it amazing that Jesus was able to say this to him now watch this in verse 21 it says another of the disciples said to him now why does it say another of the disciples said to him because probably the scribe had been lumped into this group of disciples I don't think this guy would have just come from out of the blue and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. He was a scribe. So he was probably listening to the teachings of Jesus and came to the conclusion that he wanted to follow Jesus. So I find it interesting that Jesus said this thing to the scribe, who's probably here being described as a disciple. I find that interesting. It says, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, in those days when they would say, I'm going to bury my father, it's not to say, I'm going to a funeral, my father's dead. It's not to say that, because that, that doesn't take many days. I don't think Jesus would have had an issue with that. But when it says, let me first go and bury my father, many theologians believe that actually is speaking of a guy who was now old. And this son wants to make sure he's available and nice and friendly to his dad, So that he can maximize on his inheritance so the interest here again is mammon isn't it the interest here is you know what i want to make sure i'm sorted then i will serve you and if i look at one of the major reasons why people don't embrace the call of god for their lives very often they're focused on you know what let me get set first Are you feeling me this morning? Let me get set first. Lord, once I'm stable, and I don't know what that means when people say that. Once I'm stable, very often when people talk about financial stability, they're not talking about an external measure of stability. You say to them, but what does that actually look like? How much money do you need to actually have? And they can't tell you. What they're really manifesting is what's going on internally in their hearts, their internal need for security. And how I many of you know that it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you've got a need for security right now, today, you can be given a million rand, you can be given two million rand, you'll still be bound by the fear of losing it. That's how the spirit of mammon works. Amen? And so here, this guy wants to be set and stable first before he can follow Jesus. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. I want to ask you a question what is stopping you from fully embracing the call of god on your life it's different things for different people what is stopping you what are the main excuses you make in your head elsewhere jesus spoke to the young rich ruler who said you know what i want to follow you jesus and what is his response Jesus says, go and sell all your goods and give them to the poor. And he says, the young man went away very sad. Do you know why personally, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but do you know why I think he was sad? I actually think he went and did it. Actually, I would like, maybe I'm an optimist, but I think he went and did it. He was sad that he would have to do so. He was grieving the loss of, that, of those things. I'm hoping he was one of the guys in the book of Acts who ended up so- selling his land and, and laying it, laying the money down at the apostles' feet. I'm hoping he was one of those guys. Here's the sad thing about all these people Jesus spoke of. The only thing that is spoken about those individuals is how they responded to the call of God. We don't know what happened afterwards. Maybe afterwards they bounced back. Maybe this guy then said like, okay, yeah, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus, I'll follow you. But we don't hear about it. I mean, this guy was a scribe. He could have helped writing an account of what ended up happening and how he bounced back in his life. Hey, guys, I discovered that, you know, yeah, foxes have holes. He could have spoken about it, but we don't hear about it. This shows me that when Jesus looks at us, how we respond to the call of God over our lives is very significant in his mind. Amen? Let's talk about receiving the call. Let's talk about receiving the call. You see, maximizing your gifts and calling will be influenced by how you receive your gifts and calling. Being dedicated to your gifts and calling will be seen in how you first receive them. Everyone following? It'll be seen in how you first receive them. My question is when God speaks to you, how have you responded? Let's have a look at some examples from scripture. We've got Moses. Let's just look at it. Moses gets a sovereign revelation from God. He has a burning bush experience. Exodus 3 verse 9 to 10. You don't have to turn there. It's interesting that he sensed in his heart 40 years earlier and it didn't work out, did it? And then he has the burning bush experience and it worked out. Now, just because you have a burning bush experience, it's not necessarily a measure of how superior your calling is. Sometimes when your calling is very significant, but your heart is resistant, God has to actually speak to you very clearly and bring an angel. So just because an angel spoke to you about something doesn't mean you're spiritual. Maybe it's because you're (laughs) hard-headed. And let me just say something, just because God calls your spiritual father or someone who you respect spiritually in a particular way, doesn't mean he has to use the same methods to call you. We hear all these stories in the last century of how an angel appeared to someone or how someone else saw Jesus and then the movement was birthed. And then we assume we also have to have that. No. I want to show you from scripture that there are different ways in which God calls people. And I want you to please think about how God possibly has called you. Whether it's to be a teacher, whether it's to be a pastor, whether it's to be an evangelist. How God has called you, but it might not be in a spectacular fashion. Sometimes we think we need to decide for God how he should speak to us. So because he gives us a gentle nudge, we're like, I don't think it was God. How many of you know that sometimes when we're praying for the sick, you can have a word of knowledge. That's a very gentle nudge, but it's a powerful miracle that takes place. That's one of the things I learned. I used to have a mindset that I wasn't conscious of, that if it's going to be a big miracle, then you have to have had a big vision if you're functioning in the gift of word of knowledge. But I started to see something interesting that sometimes you could just have a slight gentle nudge, a quick flash vision. remember the time when we prayed for that lady um, who who couldn't hear? And I literally had just seen a flash vision, very quick, that I could have just suppressed and so on of a right ear. Remember, and I, I said there's someone with a right ear, they're struggling hearing, and we prayed for her and she started hearing from in a right ear. But the vision wasn't massive. There wasn't an angel nudging me saying thus says the Lord right ear deaf ear is opening now there wasn't that and some of you think that if your calling is great then the manner in which you're called has to be spectacular I'm, I'm wanting to break that mindset right now so we see Moses and he has the burning bush experience was Moses called to greatness Yes, he was. Let's look at David. With David, it was different. It was prophetic revelation. And that was through Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 verse 1. And interestingly, David wasn't pursuing anything. He was just serving. He was going about his father's business. Even if you look at his experience with Goliath, it happened in the context of him serving. Isn't that amazing? He was obeying his father. That's how he got to the battlefield. He didn't just arrive at the battlefield. His dad basically said, hey, send this bread or these cakes to your brothers. Go and take them. And then he gets there and he meets with destiny. Amen? Some of you will only find yourselves hearing the call of God over your life in the context of serving he was there with the sheep he had been forgotten and god had to speak clearly to samuel to actually say wait a minute there's another boy that was prophetic revelation some of you have had a prophetic person actually see something in you what is interesting is yesterday when um i was at this first year anniversary that I was telling you about earlier on, one of the things Raymond said was, Paul, Pastor Paul, whatever he called me, was the first person who actually saw the call of God on my life. And when we were there, and we were pastoring at the University of Zimbabwe at the time, and he was one of the students there, and he said that Pastor Paul would always give me the microphone to do the offering message. I was the only person in that church who did offering messages because he saw something in me. Amen? Some of you, that's how the calling came. Someone saw something in you. You didn't have a burning bush experience. Number three, we've got Joseph. With Joseph, it was private revelation. Joseph didn't have a prophet coming to him and saying, Thus says the Lord, you're called to greatness. He's the one who had the dream. And he's the one who went and then told his brothers, Hey guys, I've got this dream. You guys are all bowing down to me and I was the Mac Daddy. Right? Literally, that's what he was saying. And he saw it in a dream. And I can identify with that. When God called me to leadership, I'm talking in terms of being a voice, in terms of training up leaders. I remember it was 1998 from what I remember. And I had this dream. And in this dream, someone handed me a book. And the book was called Prophet of Leadership. And this guy... um, I was going to describe the person but I don't need to it doesn't add okay this guy was coming from overseas I remember he had to cross an ocean and he handed this book to me and I remember at the time I was doing my master's thesis and I said I'm going to do my master's thesis on leadership development and at that time I made a decision that I want to be an expert in this I want to be known for this and I embraced it amen but that was through a dream So so Joseph had this private revelation. We see it in in Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 to 7. And and what happened is it gave him the confidence that he needed. Maybe he held on to that dream as he went to Egypt as a slave. But man, I had that dream. I had that dream. Maybe that's what gave him confidence when he was there in the dungeon, there in the prison. And he was able to say, please, guys, remember me. Remember me when you get out of here. He remembered the dream. Some of you have forgotten the dreams that God has given you. Some of you have what? You've forgotten the dreams that God has given you. But right now, God supernaturally is going to bring to remembrance those things. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings to remembrance certain things that he had put into us. Some of of you, your gifts are lying dormant. Your gifts are lying dormant. That's the enemy strategy over you. And God wants to remind you of them this morning. Number four, we see Elisha. Elisha was called through a mentor. It seems like there had already been some interaction between Elisha and Elijah. It seems like they already knew each other. But what is interesting, you'll see in First Kings chapter 19, verse 15 to 16, Elisha was called by Elijah. God speaks to Elijah, and Elijah goes and has to identify, oh, this will be the one to pass on the mantle. Amen? Same thing happened between John Osteen and Joel Osteen, isn't it? Where the dad, John Osteen, had a sense of, this is the one who's going to take over from you. Some of you right now are being mentored by certain people and you're being mentored to greatness but you don't realize that your appointment will come through that particular mentor. Some of you are about to inherit businesses but you're not conscious of the fact that you need to stay connected with the current business owner because he's identified you as his mentee and and his successor. Then we've got Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an interesting example because he's an example of personal burden. Nehemiah didn't have a dream where God was saying, thus says the Lord, go ye therefore, ye 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 back to Jerusalem and rebuild, rebuild. He didn't, he didn't have a dream where he saw Jerusalem in ruins, he just had a burden. Please say to the person next to you, what's your burden? Sometimes God can call you based on burdens that you have, where you find yourself just weeping uncontrollably concerning certain people and you don't know why. Where you find yourself filled with compassion concerning someone. Maybe it's a woman who's experiencing brokenness. Maybe it's a man whose business has failed and you just like have a heart for these people and you want to help them rebuild their business. Have a look at that compassion that you have, especially when it's supernatural especially when it's not just this natural burden that you've always had ever since you were a baby but it's something where you're like i can't explain it this person is from an ethnic group that i don't particularly like this person irritates me Ann, can you just come forward i've got something for Stuart. is stewart back can you can you get it for him please God bless you. It was worth, like, breaking my message and so on. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Who do you love out there, but you cannot explain your love? What makes you cry, but you can't explain your tears? What makes you write? What makes you send out things on social media? And you can't explain why you are leaving that movie that you're so enjoying and you're going and you're working on that document. What is it? What is that thing that makes you get up at halftime when you're watching your favorite team beat other teams and you get up and you work on that particular thing? What is that thing that consumes you? You have a burden for it. What is it that surprises even heaven when they see you so moved and you're giving a large percentage of your income towards that particular project and you can't even explain it to your spouse? Nehemiah had a burden and his burden was linked to his calling. Amen. What about Esther? What about Esther? Esther's calling was linked to a public demand from the people. How many of you know that even with Paul the Apostle, they had the experience of the Macedonian call? And it's something very precious to my wife and I because when we think of our calling to Centurion and having a church here, we see it as a Macedonian call. Do you remember when they had the vision of... A man from Macedonia saying, come, come. Sometimes your calling can be linked to public demand for a particular thing. It's not always a good thing to go by, but it's interesting because with Esther, there was a public demand from the people. Hey, who's to say you have not been called for such a time as this? Maybe someone will go up to an Emily Partha over there, a whole group, a whole community and say, Emily, Emily we need your skills. We are dying here. We're struggling. We're passionate about computers as young girls here. Yeah, we We're passionate, but there's no computer. Please, we need your skill. Only you, Emily. And she might be like, sure, Lord, I've had this passion. You've gifted me this way to start up something to help uh, girls, young girls when it comes to coding. And there's this cry and there's this demand and thousands of them are asking, Lord, this must be you. And she steps in. Amen? If you find that there are crowds of people always coming to you and saying, please, can you help me? Um, I'm struggling in my marriage. And then you have someone else the next day, hey, we've got marriage issues, can you help us please? Then you've got someone the following week, "Uh, Pastor Paul, please, can you help us? How much can we pay you? That's what happens, ask my wife almost week in, week out, week in, week out, and a lot of them are corporate people, unsaved people. I have to stop and say to myself, okay, is this time to really get this marriage coaching institute going? (laughs) <laughs> just because it's your birthday, it doesn't give you license to just say whatever you want to say. Have <laughs> <laughs> you noticed whenever it's people's birthdays. It was, my, it was Samuel's birthday the other day. Go, so, and we were on holiday at the time. So, do I get to say what activities we're going to be doing? So, it's my b- <laughs> Now, nah, praise God, you have blessed my sister. <laughs> Public demand. What are people demanding from you? You know that sometimes you can have a whole week where people who don't know each other are asking you exactly the same question people who don't know each other asking you exactly the same question they need your guidance and your input but it's specifically the same question that should say to you let me go and study that particular thing instead of just thumb sucking "Eh, actual eh, actual no go and study it because god is sending those people to you because he believes you have what it takes to solve their problems amen I honestly have to say to myself, what am I going to do to my schedule because of all the counseling requests I get? I can't ignore it. I can't just say, I, I can't do the Sorry, It's not my time. I have to figure it out. Amen? Number seven, what about Isaiah? Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was the squint prophet. One eye is higher. Okay, anyway, um, a few of you caught that, all right. right. I won't judge those of you who didn't catch it, okay. You're clever in other ways. (laughs) They're different forms of intelligence. (laughs) Okay, so so Isaiah, and you know that Nehemiah was the short guy. (laughs) Knee high, Maya, knee high. Anyway, all right, so Isaiah had an open vision or a trance. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, ask yourself, what was Isaiah's response to the calling? He says, here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets ever. Here am I, Lord, send me. My question to you is, what is your response to your calling? And I've said this to you before, saying, I don't understand, Lord okay, we'll see about it, Lord, has the same consequences as saying no. It's one of those few situations where saying I don't know and saying no, the consequences are the same. Because you see, when you delay your calling and when you reject it, consequences are the same. Because God looks and he says, ah, okay, let me just try again. I'll call in maybe in two months' time. Then he tries to call you in another way. And you're like, I don't know, Lord, and you don't bother to seek His face. Guess what happens? You can just use someone else. Do you know why you'll just use someone else? We are called according to His purpose. So, the starting point of calling is the purposes of God. The purposes of God need to be established in the nations, and God's purpose is higher than your calling his agenda is his purpose and then he might say okay let's see who we can use let's see Sean are you available and Sean says I'm not available guys please when you call God when you pray don't say God like a security guard Because your prayers end up being captured by, you know, Chubb or Fawcett or all these security companies. You know, I don't know. Where do we get it from? You know, thanks God. It's G-O-D. God. Hey, thanks God. Hey! Anyway. So Isaiah has an open vision or a trance and he responds saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Mary has an angelic visitation and her response is, be it unto me. Can I use the King James? Be it unto me according to thy word. How are you responding to the call of God? Because he takes it very seriously. Amen. You see, there's power in responding to God's call. Because when God calls you, he announces it in heaven. When you receive the calling, it's made known in heaven. And he gives you access to his resources. There's certain things that can only be accomplished through angelic assistance. Amen? And so when he says, I'm calling you to be a prophet to the nations. As you receive that in fullness, he gives you the full resources for that. He says, guys, I'm deploying you to assist my sister, so and so. No, we're not his sister, my child, so and so, to do A, B, C, D. Amen? But the key is fully receiving the calling. What about Paul? Paul has a Damascus Road experience. Struck down, meets with Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Isn't it funny? Who are you, Lord? Is like someone saying, Who are you, Paul? (laughs) struck down and we see that in the book of Acts how many of you know that sometimes your calling is a substitution calling sometimes you're God's second choice or third choice, think about it because if God says I want to use so and so and that person refuses, what does he do? he says I'm looking for someone, why? because he's consumed with his purpose He wants to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose needs to be accomplished now, today. It's not for 20 years' time. Amen? Amen. We wouldn't have needed a David if Saul had remained faithful and done what he was supposed to do. Just think about it. Maybe David would have come a bit later than he actually did but we know what God's thinking was about that. He was like, look, I've tried with Saul. Now I've found myself someone else. How many of you know that you can start off fulfilling your calling, but at a certain point the steam runs out and where God would have wanted to use you for another 20 years, he now needs someone prematurely for you to hand the baton over to. I don't know about you, but I want to do what God has called me to do right up until the day I die. Whatever is called me to do. I want to raise up the next generation for sure, but I want to make sure I'm doing what God has called me to do. I don't want God to be like on my case saying, Paul, yeah, you're 42 now, and I would have wanted you to do A, B, C, D, but I can see you're so busy, caught up with other distractions. I'm going to have to use someone else for some of the things I'd wanted you to do. Amen? Now, when it comes to the way God calls us, there's your main calling, but there are also specific assignments that he gives you. And he also speaks to you concerning those. So I was called into leadership in 98. At a certain point, I was ordained and God spoke to me about various things. But before this church started, in fact, some years before, when we're still living in Johannesburg, I remember having an inaudible voice. And what was interesting is, I was lying on my bed, and this voice basically said to me, I'm opening doors of teaching for you and Trace. You will plant a church. We'd already planted a number of churches before that, but we are specifically talking about this one. You will plant a church, and your primary sphere of influence will be Africa. Those three things. I couldn't have, I I can't interpret it differently. You understand? You will plant a church. A church is a church. I can't say, yeah, maybe it was a para-church. A church is a church. You will plant a church. I'm opening doors of teaching for you and Trace so my wife can't get out of it. (laughs) A clear voice. It was like I had a Walkman. Remember what you guys call it? Uh, <laughs> wireless. No, I had this thing in my ear and I'm hearing this voice. I wasn't trying to hear it. The other time when I heard an inaudible voice that was concerning the name of this church, I was praying in this I said, Lord, what will we name the church? It was a couple of years before the church plant. And I literally heard an audible voice saying, Go. Now that's also open to interpretation because maybe he was just saying, don't worry about the name, just go. <laughs> but then that would be confusing because I've just asked him a question and I hear go. I checked with my wife like I do with, with a lot of things and she was like, no questions, nothing. She was like, cool. Amen? So God will speak to you concerning specific assignments within your calling. But he does it in different ways. Amen. Amen. And in all those times, I had to be available to be listening to him. You see, God is a gentleman. God is a? More than a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And the mistake we often make is we want God to talk to us about what's on our agenda, not on what's his agenda. So God will speak to you about specific things. And then the next day, you go on to something completely different. But he still wants to say more about what he was telling you yesterday. Now if my wife comes to me and I have, uh, start having a conversation with her about something and I start talking and then a few hours later she doesn't build on that conversation, she changes the subject and starts talking about other things. She can't expect me to fully engage in that other subject if we're still talking about something else. And some of you are in a space in your life where you're like, but I'm trying to hear from God but I'm not hearing anything. Could it be that God had actually started speaking to you about a particular thing? But you didn't build on that. I want to close by sharing with you the things that stop us from receiving our calling. What stops us from receiving our calling? Number one, delaying it. Delaying what God isn't delaying. Amen? Wasn't it nice hearing Jimmy uh, leading that song today? like oh where's that nice voice coming from who was you Jimmy wasn't it one of the songs you no know, I could hear your voice coming through nicely He's <laughs> looking confused delaying it sometimes we delay God's call on our lives now we delay our calling due to procrastination I'm waiting for the perfect time the perfect budget, the perfect team yeah perfect look. I don't have enough nice suits yet before I go on to (laughs) TV. We procrastinate. And you see the devil is clever. The devil is? The devil is clever. Because what the devil will do is he knows that if he suggests that I know you've missed God you're a strong Christian and you're going to say oh I've missed God. So what does he do? No let's just delay it. Let's just delay it. So we delay our calling due to procrastination, due to perfectionism everything has to be perfect that's a whole message there, if any of you struggle with perfectionism, pop me an email paul at corporatelegends.co.za please spell legends properly, right? paul at corporatelegends, plural .co.za. or you can email me via paulnyamuda.com right and i will send you it's i think it's about nine modules right on overcoming perfectionism because this hinders a lot of people not written by me written by other people it's a nine lesson module on that amen Amen. low self-esteem low self-esteem will cause you to delay your calling so you're waiting for that glorious day where somehow you feel more qualified and your identity isn't based on the fact that God has called you your identity is based on if I have this qualification then I can do it and what we found is that women are more prone to that than men Don't worry, I've studied that there's research that shows it. Those of you who want to say, how ah, about not, not me? No, you yeah, are the 0.01%. That's not like that. If you look in the workplace, who's more confident, men or women? Men generally overestimate their abilities. Women tend to underestimate their abilities. Right? And you'll find a lot of women, they're called to do something and they're ready to step out and do it, but they keep saying, I think I just first need to do this particular degree. Then when I've done this degree, then I'll do it. Then they do the degree. Yeah, no, now I need my honors for it before I can step out and do it. The deeper issue is a self-esteem issue. Are you following? I'm not saying don't get trained, but just be honest with yourself. Men tend to overestimate their ability so they don't do the training. They're just like, I've got this, I've got this. Then it's a disaster. (laughs) I can see some people like squeezing their hubbies a bit more, <laughs> squeezing them affectionately. Then I can see some trying to maintain straight faces, like Kathy Anderson. <laughs> Jokes. Okay? Then you've got rigid ideas. If you've got a rigid idea of what ministry looks like, of what business looks like, you might not have the flexibility to step out and do what God has called you to. Because you're thinking you have to have a fancy penthouse suite office before you actually start your business. What rigid ideas are stopping you from stepping out and doing what God has called you to do? Maybe you believe you need to have a big staff compliment before you get started, and you're like, No, I'm just still saving up, I'm saving up because I need a big, big staff compliment. No, you don't. Sometimes we are calling is delayed because of other voices. Set a person next to you, other voices. It's people who come and say, You pastoral. <laughs> <laughs> and they literally pack out laughing. <laughs> Cutting a CD. Do you know what the industry is like? And that's where you're supposed to say to those voices, your story doesn't have to be my story. Just because it happened to you, doesn't mean it's going to happen to me. You know some people, because they fail at something, they want everyone else to fail so that they feel better. Say, so, yeah, we're going to be starting a church. You know starting a church is not easy, hey? Are you sure? Yeah, because we tried it once. Yeah, but maybe you did it the wrong way. So we delay our calling. Another reason why we don't fully receive our calling is people pleasing. This is where you choose your career based on family preference. You know what I'm talking about? You go up to your parents and you say, mom, dad, I want to study fine art at Varsity, with your posh accent. And mom and dad say, have we ever seen that in our family? (laughs) We've seen no one doing it. And that's why on the African continent, we don't have people innovating and doing things that no one else has done. Because of the collectivist mindset that says, let's first see if someone else in our family has done it. And if they haven't, then you can't. Why can't you be the first one? Oh, sorry. My son, for you to go to university to just draw pictures and we're paying. No. It can't. You know, it's like those days when you're learning maths. And they say, what's one minus two? It can't. (laughs) What's three minus four? It can't. And some of you in your lives, you've got people who are putting caps on you. And you know what's worse than someone else putting a cap on you? It's you putting a cap on yourself. So you end up choosing a career based on family preference. We are all lawyers in this family. We are all engineers. Oh, black people in our time couldn't study for this, so my son, you must study for it. You have to say, Dad, that's your dream, not mine then whatever you choose to do do it with all your heart and do it excellently and do it well sometimes we idolize certain vocations have you noticed that we make idols of certain vocations and I'm not going to mention any because some of you think I'm picking on your profession so I'm not going to mention it money matters stop us from receiving our calling so we end up being led by the money and not by the spirit We end up being led by the money and not by the spirit. I remember when I was doing my third year of BCom, and I remember one of my majors was industrial psychology, which I did very well in, but the other major I did was information systems, which I scraped through. Praise God, hallelujah. Right? But why did I do information systems? Yes, Emily, I did information systems. Why did I do information systems? Because everyone was like, if you want a job, If you want a job this is the thing to study amen back in the in the 90s if you wanted a good job and so on everyone was into information systems amen so that's why i did it we follow the money and not the spirit i want to wait until i'm set then i'll do it what do you mean by being set what is that Sometimes it's what we call current environment and circumstances. So we make decisions based on our current environment and circumstances. Right now, I've got children. Right now, my husband is horrible to me. Right now, and in psychology, we call it present bias. It's where we are so consumed by what's happening this very moment. And we get fixed in it. lack of mentorship, emotional and social support. Sometimes you excel in the call of God when you've got someone who believes in you, who's able to say, Sean Roberts, I see this in you. Amen? Melissa, I see this in you. And then you're like, whoa, if other people can see it, maybe I can do it. But some of you don't have that in your lives. Think of the times you've been so encouraged because there's someone, a mentor, who saw something in you that you couldn't see. Come on, in life we go through stuff, don't we? We go through hardships, we go through difficulties where we can't see ourselves aright and we need someone to come and give us that social support. If you look at one of the major predictors of job success, it's actually social support. Another reason why we don't fully receive our callings is what I call the fixed mindset as opposed to the growth mindset. So if I failed in the past, it means I'll fail in the future. If I failed my exams last year, it means I'll fail the ones this year. If I failed and didn't quite do as well as I wanted to do my matric, then it means that my whole life I'll just be failing, failing, failing. Don't let your past define your future. Don't let how your marriage was two years ago define how it can ever be. Good opportunity for you to say amen. Another reason why we don't fully receive our calling is condemnation. So, you see, a lot of people they did stuff before in their lives, they messed up, they feel condemned, and they're living at the same level of shame that they did when they were unsaved or when they were backslidden. I want to encourage you don't let condemnation grab a hold of you. Some of you, there's such a strong calling on your life but you're not confident because you're judging yourself and you think God is judging you based on what you've done in the past. And so you're carrying guilt, shame, and condemnation. Another reason we don't fully embrace our calling is envy. We spend so much time coveting someone else's gifting, so much time coveting someone else's calling, that we don't fully embrace what God is doing in our lives. And then finally, what I call self-deauthorization, self-deauthorization. It's where God has given you permission to go and lay hands on the sick and pray for them. You're passionate about it, but you've deauthorized yourself. No one has stopped you. Your pastors have not said, no, you're not yet ready. We've never said that to you, but somehow you've deauthorized yourself because of the lies that you've believed. I believe that we're in a time and we're in a season where God wants us to fully receive and embrace the call of God in our lives. Amen. Let's pray.